Welcome back into the Wobcast 2.0, episode 15. Come back to clinch. That's what the Minnesota Vikings did on Sunday. They stunned the Indianapolis Colts 39 to 36 to clinch the NFC North. They moved to 11 and 3. Giles is here, Chase is here, and yours truly, Wobby, is here to talk about it. On the show today, we review that win over the Indianapolis Colts. We take a deeper dive on the Vikings defense. We are going to power rank the possible wild card round opponents for the Minnesota Vikings. And then we'll preview the Vikings upcoming game, the New York Giants. To do all of that along with me, it'll be Giles and Chase. Hey, fellas, how's it going? I'm doing better now. I feel like someone needs to go call the heart doctor because that was quite an experience. Uh, yeah. That was some ups and some downs, definitely a tale of two halves. But I am uh, glad we're in the, the victory Monday formation. Yeah, me too. Chase, how you doing, bud? Uh, really, really good. I'm I'm starting to think that a win is a win. It's been starting to become a, a Vikings fan's main slogan versus school. <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, we just kind of keep figuring out how to win bad games. So Yeah, well, this one is kind of an, like, this one is an over-the-top one, guys. This um this is a where-were-you moment in Vikings history, I, I will have to say. You know, and I think we can... We can be a little bit critical or a little we can downplay a little bit the significance of the win uh, because it came against just a ratty, awful team uh, being coached by a studio analyst, um, you know, being quarterbacked by maybe someone who's who's lost four or five steps and has a penchant for for, for choking in, in those moments, which he did in the Super Bowl. So there are some you know, there are some things we can take away from the Vikings here. But the, the bottom line is not every team in the league could do that. Um, could come back from that deficit. The Vikings did do it, and they've been doing it all season, and they found a way to win. Might be something in the air in that building uh, with miracles and dramatic finishes. But, um, you, you know, what they say, it's not they, – they don't ask you how. They ask you how many when the season mm -hmm. is over. Well, it yeah. doesn't matter how you won your games. It matters how many games you won. That was the 11th one, and it was a big one for the Vikings because it clinched the NFC North. Now, I don't think that really was in doubt here in the last month or so. Uh, but you still wanted to get it done, and you did get it done. And uh, and so now you can move on to worrying about the second seed or the third seed because it's going to be one of those two things. And we're going to talk more about that later on in Episode 15 of the Wobcast 2.0. We'll talk about the playoffs, and we'll power rank the possible opponents for the Vikings. Really, it's five possible opponents. Could be six. It could be Dallas, but it's like a less than 1% chance of that happening. So we'll exclude them from the conversation. We'll talk about and power rank the other five. That's later in the show. For now, for right now, let's review this win over the Indianapolis Colts, guys. It was um, obviously a tale of two halves, and Giles has a tale of the tape that we're going to get into uh, in a little bit. But, um, you know, suffice it to say, they trailed 33 to nothing at halftime. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people left the building. I don't know if people turned off their TVs. But anyone who did either of those two things missed uh, a classic second half. Because the first half uh, was awful. The Vikings gave up touchdowns on a blocked punt on an interception return, and they gave up four field goals plus one offensive touchdown that they allowed to trail 33 to nothing at halftime. And I think, you know, if you were watching the game, you're probably depressed and feeling down in the dumps. But if you really analyzed it and thought about it, I think you sat there at halftime going like, it doesn't like, how are we, how are the Vikings down 33? Nothing like I, mm -hmm. I'm not going to predict that they can come back. Cause that's just absurd, but like, I don't know, maybe they can come back. At least that's what I was thinking. I, it didn't feel like 
you were down 33 nothing to like the Eagles or the Cowboys or the Packers when they were good. It kind of felt like a fraudulent 33 to nothing, if you if you know what I mean. I cannot agree more. I feel like you blinked and all of a sudden you were down by 33 points. You're like, what happened? It just slipped yeah. through my fingers. And I think it's important to note that most, like you mentioned before, most of those points came on the special teams unit side of the fence. Yeah. Um, I actually think our defense did pretty well considering what was going on because going into that game, uh, a low-key stat that goes under mentioned is that the Colts had a top 10 defense uh, yeah. and they were great in the secondary. Like they have great uh, uh, defensive linemen up front and they have a good secondary. Like that's not a... A defense that you can say, ah, like we should be fine, but they were a, a really, uh, really good defense. And more importantly, something that was not talked about all season, the Colts going into that game had the yeah. number one special teams unit in the league by oh, wow. a long shot. Like they were in the 90s from a PFF grade standpoint. They're still like number two in special teams. Um, they're really good. Like they're yeah. a great special teams unit, which is something to really emphasize. But I think you're right. That's just kind of slipped through our fingers in the first half. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think we can be very critical of the Colts' shortcomings in the second half uh, and talk about how they were not able to sustain any drives, take any time off the clock, make one play that mattered, get a quarterback sneak to seal the game, nothing. They, there was just uh, – I mean, if this was a Colts podcast or an NFL podcast, I'd say let's spend more time talking about that. But instead, let's, let's cast our gaze and focus a little bit on just the Vikings and their performance. So mm-hmm. – I, um, the, the tale of two halves conversation, Giles, walk us through that a little bit. Cause you shared some stats, uh, with us earlier, you know, and, and, and we all saw it, but you look at some of it and you know, the rushing, the yards per carry was very similar in both halves. Right. Yeah. And you know, you had some mistakes from cousins that you don't typically see, right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. throwing the pick six, um, yeah. and Whatever happened at halftime, I don't know exactly what it was, but they certainly were able to turn it around. So when you look at the numbers, Giles, or when you just were looking back at tape or when you were watching it live, what do you think it was? What changed? You know, that's a great question for those. Can watching, you see my screen? Uh, I was going to say yeah. I was going to show you a few numbers. Sorry. Go ahead. Yep, I can see it. So for those who are watching, watching us on YouTube, you can um, you know, you can see the numbers for those listening. You can't. But Giles can walk us through some of it. But. Um, you know, rushing attempt was, was virtually, virtually the same. Uh, obviously the yards per pass attempt drastically different 6.8 in the second half when things were going well, 1.7 in the first half. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I'd be curious to sit down with Kevin O'Connell and say, what do you think happened coach in that first half? And what, what happened at halftime that, that led to some of these drastic changes? Do you have any hunches on that? Um, honestly, I think it goes down to drops and incompletions because I think there were a number of times we were able to get open. Um, and I think that's definitely a, a, a commendation to the offense because they were getting extreme pressure on us because I was thinking there for a second that we were going to have a repeat of the Cowboys game where they were getting so much pressure that there was no way we could move the ball. And really... Yeah. We were struggling from a completion standpoint where Cousins was able to get into the hands of a lot of people. They just couldn't bring it in and and, uh, bring it out. So I think that's definitely an issue that needs to be discussed this week uh, as they're preparing for the Giants. Uh, But really, I think they were just able to be more successful with the pass game up front. And uh, beyond that, I think I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but the time of possession was significantly favoring the Colts where, I mean, as you can see there, we had 99 total yards in the first half. And then when you include overtime, the second half, you had 419 yards. Um, 
And that's partially due to time of possession, period. Like, we just simply did not have the ball much. And when we did have the ball, we made a few mistakes and we threw some picks. And, like, we had some mistakes that led to the other team scoring points. Everything just kind of culminated to a massive dumping on the field, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, was there a moment for you guys um, during this second half comeback for the Vikings where you were a believer that it was going to become complete and at least become a tie game? Um, and, and while you're thinking about if you had that moment or not, let me walk you through sort of what happened because I had the opposite feeling like at halftime, I'm kind of like, I kind of expect this to be a game. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if they'll complete the comeback and tie it, but I expect this to be a game. However, the Vikings very first possession of the second half was not inspiring. No, Uh, (laughs) no, no, that was not, not good at all. Um, they, in fact, they went backwards eight yards, mm-hmm. um, but the Colts couldn't do anything either. And, um, the Vikings scored, um, two pretty quick touchdowns mm-hmm. after that. Um, and to me, when the fourth quarter was starting and then they scored a touchdown very early on in the fourth quarter, I was like, I think this is going to happen. And, and the people with whom I was watching the game, I didn't get loud with them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, um, but I, I kind of had a good feeling for the Vikings after they started the touchdown, uh, the fourth quarter with a touchdown. What was there a moment for you guys uh, where you thought it, that was going to happen, or were, were you never a believer of it? What What was your thinking during the game? Uh, this might have let too much emotion affect my my feelings there, but I really think that Justin Jefferson pass on the second drive of the second half. Uh, Justin Jefferson caught a pass for like 13 yards. And I think when you compare the entire first half, we couldn't get the ball moving at all. And then Mm -hmm. when you get a a medium length pass. I think there was just so much momentum built into that. And I forget exactly the the stance of uh, Jefferson after he caught it, but people are like, all right, we can, at least, we have the ability to move the ball. And then we just kind of pieced yeah. it together from there. Um, yeah. And honestly, I was uh, in a group text with Chase and uh, a couple other buddies. And I said, we're going to win this game. I'm like, I just, I really think that our team has so many offensive fire firepower units that we can win this game if we can string this together. And really, I didn't think we were playing all that different on defense um, where I thought like, if you can minimize the mistakes, which thankfully they did, I really think there's a route to making this happen. And thankfully they proved us right. Yeah. How about you, Chase? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, Giles, you know, I uh, was not a believer in this game, but uh, the one moment in the second half for me that really um, kind of sparked something was it's a, and this is a little different route than you guys both took, but it was a Justin Jefferson catch where mm-hmm. I want to say uh, Gilmore uh, got called for a necessary or yeah. something helmet to helmet or something. Um, mm-hmm. Jefferson got killed. He, yeah. he got hit really hard, went to the sideline and then they showed him and he was ready to go. He came right mm-hmm. back out on the field and marching there. He knew he was the best player on the field. I thought that was like, okay, like that's, mm-hmm. that's the dog in our team, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, um, after that play chase and you guys might remember seeing this, I saw Kevin O'Connell that the camera showed Kevin O'Connell go over to Jefferson and talk to him. And I am quite certain that what happened in that conversation was O'Connell came over and said, you're going back. You know, he knew he was going back in the game at that point. Cause he went into the, t- to the tent to be evaluated. And I think he said, don't go out there like n- no chippiness, no, no smack talking, no getting back at him. Just play your game, do your thing. Don't let him get into your head. I'm, I'm fairly certain that was the conversation. 
because yeah. Jefferson, yeah, D- Jefferson's an emotional player, I think. Um, and the difference I th- between Jefferson and someone like Jair Alexander or Stefan Diggs, who also plays great emotion, is a lot of times it gets the better of them and they become distracted and engaged with the opponent. And yep. to me, I don't see that with Jefferson. To me, Jefferson is internalizing all of it. Mm-hmm. And he's not getting in other players' faces. He's not showboating. He's not taunting. And and I think O'Connell was trying to keep Jefferson on that track by having that little, like, it was just five or six seconds. But I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what the conversation was about. I could not agree more. And I think whenever you elicit that type of emotion, especially on the play field, uh, that, that invites competition back, right? When you're throwing it to them, I mean, you don't make it to the NFL with having, without having a competitive spirit. That right. invites them to try to go back at you. So I think even from your uh, logical perspective of trying to win the game, I think it's more important to internalize it versus trying to egg someone else on to try to beat you, yeah. um, especially when you have to come down from that big of a margin. Yep. Um, before we dig into the defense a little bit more, because I do want to talk about that, about some things that we saw in Ed Donatel and the discussion that was had last week about he needs to be fired. Not, not with us, but uh, with <laughs> yeah. Vikings yeah. at large, Vikings uh, public at large, should he be fired or not and changing the scheme? We're going to get into that a little bit here, but let's do PFF grades before we do that, Giles. And Boom. Um, you, you have sent them to us and shared them with us but I have not looked at them closely. So um, walk us through some of the the things maybe that stood out to you. I know one of your observations is that the drastic change in performance and results from half one to half two may lead to some grades that are hard to sort of reconcile, uh, so to speak. I know that's going to be one of your takeaways, but let's walk through some of these grades and, and take a peek at who played well and who didn't. Yeah, 100%. And I'll uh, have you guess a few here in a second, but I think it's important for the audience to note, although I love PFF, I love the people at PFF, um, sometimes stats can be a little bit misleading when you have a game like this, uh, yeah. especially when it comes to like the quarterback position. Um, so I may be revealing a little bit of uh, top five or bottom five, but um, someone like a quarterback uh, or even a tight end, for example, can be uh, greatly affected uh, by a game like this, where even though they might have a great half, a bad half can also lead to a, a sure. uh, declination in their points. But um, as you can see here, uh, we have the uh, at least the starting lineup for the offense for the Minnesota Vikings uh, based on 11 personnel with uh, three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. If you had to guess, who are the top three PFF graded players from this Saturday? I'd go Dalvin, Jefferson, and... I'm trying to think of – I want someone up front here who I didn't see a lot of because if you don't see the offensive lineman on TV, that probably means they're playing well. So I'll go O'Neal. So I'm going to go Dalvin, Justin Jefferson, Brian O'Neal in the top five PFF mm-hmm. grades. You are oh so close. Uh, Dalvin mm-hmm. was just outside of the top three. I'll okay. give you one more guess on uh, – on the other third one, because he got the the other two right. Brian O'Neill was the number one graded PFF grade uh, PFF graded player on offense, and Joseph Jefferson was third. Okay, who was second? So O'Neill was one, Jefferson was third, Hawkinson. Nope. Dang it. He who actually did not have that great of a game, uh, partially because of the uh, the first and second half. But. Yeah. All right, Chase, you got a guess? I'm wrong on Hawkinson, and I'm wrong on. Uh, I said Cook, Jefferson, and O'Neal. So O'Neal, you said um, Dalvin was just outside. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wrong on Dalvin, and I'm wrong 
on Hawkinson? I think it's got to be KJ, right? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Ah. There he is. Yeah. Boom, boom. With a 78.5 PFF grade, he ranked 15th out of 84 qualified receivers that had played at least 20% of snaps. Wow. Uh, Brian O'Neill definitely showed up wow. and showed out. He was the fifth best tackle in the league uh, out of 70 graded tackles, both left and right tackle, um, with an 80.1 grade. He's a showstopper. I think, uh, I mean, although Christian Derrissaw graded out a little bit less than what he'd normally have uh, done in, in weeks past, he's still a, an above average tackle in this game. Uh, he had a cramp uh, throughout the game, which I think uh, kind of dinged him with one of the plays, um, gave up a pressure two more than he typically does. Um, but I think we have uh, two amazing tackles, which is a, an amazing yep. element. Uh, Dalvin Cook obviously graded out with a 75.2 PFF grade. Uh, he did great. Uh, that screen pass towards the end there was phenomenal. One of the bigger uh, linchpins in us winning and securing the win and securing the NFC North. Uh, so he did great. Uh, Kirk Cousins, unfortunately, graded out at a 57.4 PFF grade, partially because of his low performance in the first half when you look at completion yeah. percentages. Yep. And more importantly, the two uh, interceptions that he had from Jalen Rieger. Uh, both... I mean, uh, at eye test, it looked like Jalen Rieger stopped running his routes, especially on that go ball towards the end uh, that ended up being uh, a pick. Um, that's that's just a tough a tough scenario. But that really dinged Kirk technically from a PFF grade standpoint. But mm-hmm. anything else that stands out among these uh, these players? No, I don't think anything stands out as surprising. Um, you know, Thielen doesn't grade high there at all, and I think we've kind of gotten accustomed to that this season. But I, I still think he provides some value. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yep definitely uh interior of the offensive line not grading well but they haven't that's been them all season and you're yep. you're asking a lot of a backup center and mm-hmm. i don't think the colts front is bad at all i think it's pretty good actually so i no, think they were especially challenged. with the forest buckner yeah yep 100%. i think they were challenged um and they did enough in the second half to make it work dalvin um you know uh, Dalvin's a special player and mm-hmm. my brother sent me a text he's in he lives in Florida and obviously was watching the game and he's like to, to see Dalvin turn on the afterburners the way he did on that screen pass just gave me goosebumps he said and I'm like I know I I swear every game it seems like I'm saying to whoever I'm watching the game with man Dalvin is fast you know and if you think or notice someone is being fast on an NFL field they're real fast because yeah, everyone out there is fast I mean, yep. that's just that's just what it is in the NFL at this level. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think 75.2 is a pretty decent grade, but I don't yep. think it's reflective of the impact that Dalvin has on the offense and and how how much stress he puts on opposing defenses every week. I could not agree more. And I know I mentioned this at the beginning of the season. I expected Dalvin to have a an above average, if not elite season because of the way our system uses running backs. If you look back to the 2018 Rams and the way they use Todd Gurley, I was expecting Dalvin Cook to have a phenomenal season. The reason I bring that up is I've almost been uh, looking at our usage of Dalvin Cook throughout this season like we've been putting a governor on him from a schematic standpoint. Not that we're not trying to have him have explosive plays, but there's a part of me that thinks that they've been trying to reserve some play calls uh, that they can leverage at the end of the season and in the playoffs where people are like, oh my God, you've never used Delvin Cook that way. Like, we don't know how to game plan for you anymore if you're into the playoffs. Uh, for example, the uh, uh, the screen pass that he used uh, to be able to hit the touchdown toward later in the game, we haven't been doing screen passes all season. Now, screen passes are very reliant on precise timing. So if you haven't practiced screen passes, it's not like something you can just 
whip up and say, oh, let's just run a screen pass. Let's just make it work. You need right. to execute and practice those um, throughout the week before you can actually implement that in a game. So there's a part of me that thinks that there's been a governor on Dalvin Cook that we're just starting to see loosen up. Sure. Yeah. That, that, and and if so, uh, great time for it because yeah. the to have to have fresh legs and new concepts at that position um, is is a big deal at this time of the season. Um, yeah. So last thing I'll say before we switch to defense too is um, the people who are watching this and can see it will see the grades atop the, the graphic, each individual player's graphic. Underneath it, what Giles has there is where they rank among all qualified players who were graded at that position that week. So mm -hmm. Brian O'Neill, 5 slash 70 means he was the fifth highest graded player of 70 right tackles who were graded. Actually, uh, all tackles, uh, just to confirm. So left and all, right all tackles. qualified tackles. Left yep. and right, which is why Derisaw is also 70. Correct. Um, so, Same thing with guards. Yep, so left so, guard out of 66 qualified guards, as Cleveland was 45th. And and I believe the qualification is on number of snaps in that in that game, right? Yeah. So, Correct. um, so so 33 quarterbacks had enough snaps last week to be graded by PFF. Cousins ranked 19th out of all of those quarterbacks. And Correct. again. If you watch that game in the second half, Cousins was like number one, number two, or number three out of 33, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but in the first half, he was probably like 32nd or 33rd. So where does it kind of grade out and balance out? And it ends yep. up being at, at 19. And this is why we say, um, you know, these PFF grids are not the be all end all of evaluation. They're just, it's a data point based on lots of data points and it's yep. fun to talk about and it's fun to have a, a point of data to discuss. And, yep. um, and so, and so that's why we do it. Um, and we'll switch over and talk defense here in those PFF grades, unless you guys had anything else on the offense before we switch. Uh, last thing I wanted to bring up is the center position with Austin yeah. Schlotman. Um, I think he's a, a, a solid backup center for us. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this over and over again, but I really miss Garrett Bradbury. I think he's yeah. been doing a much more phenomenal job this season in comparison to when we drafted him. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's been having some lower back issues. I believe I heard that he actually got in a car accident after the game on Saturday and further tweaked his back injury. And I think that can become a point of concern uh, when you think about shoring up the interior offensive line because um, I think Ezra Cleveland is an above average player. He's a great run blocker. He's okay in pass protection when he is schematically put in a position to do so. Um, and I think when we have had Garrett Bradbury in, Ezra Cleveland has done a better job, period. Mm, when you look at the yeah. games where Ed, uh, uh, Garrett Bradbury has either not played well or he's not been involved, Ezra Cleveland has often mimicked that. Um, so I think if you want to get uh, the left side and the interior part of your offensive line shored up, I'm really hoping we can get Garrett Bradbury back by the end of the playoffs, or at least yep. the start of the playoffs, rather. There's absolutely something to be said for when you get a starter back within the offensive line, the effect that it has, not just on that position, but on the neighboring positions that, mm -hmm. that is totally true. Um, and maybe center more than any other, uh, yeah. you know, because they're right in the middle of everything and they're making calls and all that. So, mm -hmm. um, you, you want good sound quality backups. Uh, but, um, you know, when you're, when you're missing a starter up front there, it's a big deal. Now, uh, what will be interesting um, with Garrett Bradbury is, is he back next year or the year after? If so, at what cost? And if so, at what position, right? Because the Vikings thought they had something in Pat Elfline a few years ago, and 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 then they didn't they didn't have what they thought they had, and they tried to move positions with them. And 
so um, that'll be interesting to see because maybe they find a great center that they that the new staff and new regime really believes in and they draft him, but they still want to hold on to Bradbury and they slide him to guard. So anyway, yeah. that's a discussion for another day. Uh, yeah. But the point is, multiple episodes of the Wobcast 2.0, Giles has said, man, I miss Garrett Bradbury, which fans... <laughs> Uh, which stands to reason that uh, perhaps he should and will be back with the Vikings next year and in seasons to come. Yeah. And I think if you look at it from the other side of the perspective, though, if they can really take Garrett Bradbury from what he once was to this, imagine what they can do with the, someone that they actually drafted. Now, I think yeah. um, the the criticism to that comment would be Ed Ingram. Um, he's still been struggling. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can do in the offseason. I know he had some some injuries during training camp, but he's continued to struggle um, to the point where it's become a liability. So mm-hmm. um, I'll be interested to see what they do at the center and right guard position in the offseason. But now that you are there, uh, Chase, unless you have something else in the offense, we'll move over on to the defensive side of the football. Let's do it. Yeah, just uh, super, super quick. I got to give a little bit of a shout out to Ezra Cleveland. Um, I know that the 55.8 is nothing to to highlight, but we were just talking about Dalvin Cook's game-tying touchdown and um, how fast he looked on that touchdown. And I just have to give him credit because Ezra Cleveland crossed the finish line not too far after Dalvin Cook did. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think some of our players who obviously, when you think Minnesota Vikings, Ezra Cleveland is not the first guy you think of. We won that game because a lot of our – not as good players did all the little things to win the game. Um, and I thought that was a, bit, a really cool thing to see that Ezra Cleveland was running down there with them. I mean, he shouldn't be able to move as fast as Dalvin. And I'm not saying he was, <laughs> but he was down there with them. So that was yeah. really cool to see. Yeah, because cool. definitely pivotal to getting him in the end zone was having someone to block him at the end there. Yep. Yeah, could not agree more. All right, let's head on over to the defensive side of the football. Um, do we have any thoughts about the top three defensive players from the PFF standpoint? I have a hunch. Um, I'm guessing Daniil and Zadarius are in there, and I'll put Harrison Phillips in there as well. Uh, you got one of those right. Um, Zadarius Smith was the number two ranked player on the defense. Okay. The Nothing. others were not in the top Wow. Three. Okay. All right. Um, Kendricks was all over the place, and I know he had a pretty good-looking box score. So let's go there. And I'll just go with the guy who's the straw that stirs the drink on that side is Harrison Smith. So I'll put it I'll, my final guess is Harrison. Uh, not Harrison uh, and not Kendricks. So PFF will not be hiring me onto their staff anytime soon. <laughs> uh, it is someone that uh, was talked about at the end of the game that motivated the team to come back from the huge deficit. Who was that? Do you know who that uh, was, Chase? I do, but it's only because I saw it before this. So okay. <laughs> Any guesses? There was uh, there's rumors that this person kind of gave a pep talk in the well. The, that's got to be Peter. The locker room. That's got to be Patrick Peterson. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he did phenomenal. He graded out at Good a seventy six point four PFF grade. He went into the locker room at the halftime. Went up to Kirk Cousins and says, "We're gonna stop him moving forward. You just need to go get five touchdowns. That's all." Um, which sounds outlandish when you say it like that, but that's exactly yeah. what they did. So yeah. uh, give it up to Patrick Peterson for really providing a show-stopping day. He was uh, 11th out of 94 qualified cornerbacks uh, that played at least 20% of the snaps. Um, but more importantly, is on the other side of the field in the same position, Duke Shelley was the fourth overall graded cornerback last week. The wow. fourth. 
And he was an undrafted, if I remember correctly, or at least he was on a practice squad not yeah. that long ago. And now he was a shutdown corner uh, when it came to Saturday's game. And I think it's important to Jeez. note that the entire season, we have played primarily zone coverage. Um, you know, there's a few variations, a lot of cover six. Um, but in this game, most people didn't really uh, analyze this super closely, but we played a significant amount more man defense for the first time all season. And I think part of that is due to Duke Shelley and his his capabilities where we were able to shut them down. When you think about holding the Colts to, uh, excuse me, four uh, field goals throughout the first half and then essentially zero points or three points in the second half, part of that, and a huge part of that was Duke Shelley. He did a phenomenal job at shutting down uh, from the Jeez. cornerback perspective. That, um, that's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, absolutely all, phenomenal. All the resources that teams devote to that position, which is one of the three most important positions in the sport right now. Yep. You know, and you get a guy like Duke Shelley, who is just no one knows who who he is. I yep. mean, that's incredible. Fourth out of ninety four graded corners. Wow. Absolutely phenomenal. And I'm a what huge a fan of uh, Cam Dantzler. I think he has a, a chippiness to him, but I think if Duke Shelley continues to play this way, I'm sorry, Cam Dantzler, I love you, but we have to start Duke Shelley. Yes. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, knock on wood that he continues to play this way. He has had one not so great game, but I think in the three games that he has started, two out of those three have been great games. This being yep. by far and away his best game. Uh, but I think he is in the making to have a great future uh, in purple. Awesome. Um, now, when you look at the, the uh, front lineup, uh, Harrison Phillips had a pretty good day to 72.3 PFF grade. Um, did pretty good up front as the nose tackle. Dalvin Tomlinson uh, had a not so great day in, in contrast. I don't know if he was dealing with an injury. Typically, he's performing in a top five, top 10 category for a defensive tackle, uh, but graded out at a 58.5 PFF yeah. grade. Um, so, you know, just watching the game and noticing like who's who are we seeing it felt to me like harrison phillips was great you know i think he was a pain in the ass all all game for the colts yep uh, um so I, you know i'm not surprised to see him have a green grade here and i if any i mean 22 out of 120 is very good but if anything i would have put him higher you know yep. and i think the neil had a sack and a half and to me you know he not every snap of Daniil's is a great rep, mm -hmm. but Daniil's great reps change the game. Yeah, he's you know a showstopper. He's yeah. a, train, a freight train when he is given the opportunity. Yeah, I guess I guess you would liken it to um, to a power hitter. Lots of strikeouts, <laughs> but lots of RBIs and home runs. Yep. And to me, that's what Daniil is. So um, kind of a low grade here yep. relative to what I thought his impact was on the game. It's also important to note uh, that Daniil is playing a new position, and I think mm -hmm. that is obvious to most people at this point. But when you get down to the the usage of his new position, it's important to, uh, to emphasize the distinction because in his former position, he had his hand in the dirt and he was rushing the passer pretty much every time. I think he dropped back into coverage maybe five times last season, if I remember correctly. Um, he is dropping back into coverage a, a much higher amount every game. He's dropping back into coverage two, three, four, five times a game now. Mm -hmm. And it's important to note in those five games or in those five uh, touch points or those five plays, he is not rushing the passer. So now he's being right. evaluated in a coverage standpoint, which can lower his overall PFF grade and reduce the number of pressures that he's getting. So it's important yep. to note that he's playing outside linebacker now. He's not an edge, although he's an edge rusher, he's also backing off into coverage. So it's important to note that. And I think that's uh, hurting, or hurting his, his overall PFF grade. I think another point, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, keep yeah. going. 
Um, another point to call out here is that in this game, we played a significant amount of more players along the defensive front than we usually do. I would okay. say Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson typically play um, the majority of the snaps, and we had a lot of distribution of reps. Um, when you look at it, uh, DJ Wanham, he played a lot of reps, and he actually ended the day with a 75.5 PFF grade. Mm. I mean, he played far fewer snaps, but he was playing a lot so from an outside linebacker's perspective. Um, Zezia Tomowo, he had a 70. 0.9 PFF grade. James Lynch, who plays defensive tackle, he had a 69.8% or a 69.8 PFF grade. So the point is, uh, our defensive front here listed on the starters didn't necessarily play the majority of the snaps. We had a huge distribution, and the other players that didn't technically start all did pretty well um, from a, a PFF grade standpoint. So okay, um, I think it's important to note that um, and how that can hurt the overall PFF grade uh, for. Uh, a person like Dalvin Tomlinson, especially considering the snafus of the first half. Sure. Yep. You know, and, and going back to Hunter and and the discussion, you know, and what you were saying, Giles, he is playing a new position, still rushing the passer most snaps, but on other snaps is being asked to drop, which he was rarely ever asked to do in when the Vikings were in a 40 front playing a 4-3 defense. And it will be interesting to see what Daniil's place is in this defense, mm -hmm. assuming he has one in Ed Donatel and Kevin O'Connell's defensive scheme. If he does not, what do they do with him? How how do they um, attain value for him if they want to trade him or whatever it's going to be? And if they do keep him, do they find a way to rush him more times than not? Do they have him bulk up and play D end in a 3-4? Or do they mm -hmm. train him as an outside linebacker? And this is an example of how you get a new coaching staff and they bring in their own schemes and some things you can change quickly and some things you can't and they take mm -hmm. a while. And this position here, Daniil Hunter is an example of one that takes a while and you have to take, you have to accept the growing pains that come along with the, 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 a new coaching staff, which the Vikings have right now. So, you know, the organization and the fans wanted something new on defense and they got it. Mm -hmm. and they like some of what they're getting look how patrick peterson is playing as an example mm -hmm. um but some of it you got to live you got to put up with too like dropping daniel hunter into coverage so it'll be interesting that that will be an off-season talking point giles and chase is what to do with daniel hunter between the end of this season and the start of the next i could not agree more because uh, i was thinking about that this week because really when you look at daniel hunter's skill set he is best used when he's rushing the passer. When he's rushing the passer, he disrupts games. He is a freight train. Um, so I feel like it's a disservice to both him and the team to have him back off into coverage. But that is your scheme. That is part of your illusion of complexity to try to say, is he going to rush? Is he not going to rush? But his value does not really um, reach its true potential when backed off into coverage. So um, I would say one of two things happen this offseason. He gets moved inside um, to a defensive tackle or a defensive end technically in a 3-4 scheme. He bulks yep, five up. Five technique. And, yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or we trade him and we get massive value from it. I don't see any other world where he, uh, uh, he's with the Vikings. I don't believe he would come back in an outside linebacker capacity. Now, I might be proven wrong, but that's my position at the moment. I absolutely think you're getting a first round pick for Hunter if you trade. Hundred percent, if not um, two, considering yeah. uh, if they can get some a, a few flat uh, splash plays here by the end of the year. Yeah, and because sometimes general managers make uh, emotional decisions based on some big moves. <laughs> yep, they do. That's right. And I I don't know if this was true or not, but I believe that there were trade calls for Burns in Carolina, Brian Burns, and mm -hmm. that one of the offers was two first round picks, and Carolina held on to him 
And so mm-hmm. that kind of goes to show you the value uh, that teams who run an, an even man front would place on a guy like Daniel Hunter, who can rush from both sides mm-hmm. and is obviously demonstrating the ability to do something different by being an outside linebacker in a new scheme and is mm-hmm. playing still playing well in his first season. So yeah. that'll be an interesting storyline to follow uh, once yep. the season concludes. Anything else here on, on defense before we talk about my man, Ed Donatel? Um, one last thing off of that, um, yeah. but while I have it in my mind, and we'll definitely talk about this a lot more in the offseason, but I think it's important to note that we're going to have a lot of players that need to get paid in this offseason. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that they will very strategically move off of Daniel Hunter because he doesn't fit our scheme as an outside linebacker and he can't really be as big uh, as we prefer him to be on a defensive tackle. And we have another uh, uh, several positions that require some better talent. Um, because Harrison Smith, there's a chance that he is no longer with the team in the offseason because of his high cap hit. So there's a chance that we could leverage those two first round picks to be able to make up for a lot of the other positions because of how much we have to pay other people. I mean, even Zedarius Smith, I believe, is due $12 million next year when he's making $3 million to cap this year. So there's a lot of uh, cap issues that will become uh, an issue once the new season starts that I think you're going to have to get creative. And I think Daniel Hunter might be one of those. Yep. Agreed. Well stated. All right. Should we talk about Ed Donatel and the scheme? Let's do it. All right. Well, last week, some people wanted him fired. This week, <laughs> I think you got to be feeling a little bit better about him. And obviously, mm-hmm. when cooler heads prevail, I think even the most uh, critical of fans probably wouldn't have given Donatel the axe. At least I hope not. At least not at that point in the season. But I think a more material question is, did we see a schematic change? Did we see a dramatic shift in the way defense was done? Because we did hear some talk of that, even from Vikings head coach, Kevin O'Connell, that maybe we needed to find some more ways to be aggressive and to dial up some pressure. So did we notice that against the Colts? Um, I think so uh, from two different uh, changes. Mm -hmm. Um, First being uh, our ability to put in more players more frequently because before uh, the same front seven played a majority of the game and they would be the guys that would uh, tackle the run and the pass and we mm-hmm. filtered in a lot more backups into the lineup throughout the course of the game and I mean I'm not a football expert by any stretch of the imagination but the way I look at that is they are simply trying to keep guys fresh and keep guys fast because our entire uh, uh, defensive strategy uh, although it's it prioritizes a few other things uh, tremendous off the ball speed is one of them and it's hard to be fast all the time so I think they were trying to prioritize a, a great a greater level of speed with mm-hmm. simply having fresh guys um, you look at that across the defensive lineup uh, or defensive line and the, uh, the outside linebacker group DJ Wanham played a, a lot of snaps um, I believe Patrick Jones the third had a few snaps if I remember correctly yep. um, and I see them filtering a lot more people in to try to keep that freshness I don't know how about you do you do you agree with that did you see that as well I did see that. And I, I am not a religious counter of the snaps and I don't even always go to the game book after the game to check it out. But I did this time because I noticed more numbers in there. Um, mm-hmm. And what, what got me to notice at first was how much more Wanham played. I, I think mm-hmm. he played a lot more than he, than he normally does. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, that is a change I noticed. Now I think you really got to go back and watch tape or find someone who you trust to see, did they call more pressures and more blitzes uh, than they have on average? And and I don't know that for sure if they did or not. Um, but I noticed more, more players being used. And 
I just felt like they were so dominant and the second the defense in the second half was just dominant over the Colts that it was just so overwhelming that it was hard for me to like really pick out what they were doing schematically to make it work because everything worked. They were rushing really well. They were covering really well and they were getting off the field on third downs. I think uh, that actually leads into my second point. Uh, I do believe that they were dialing up pressure a little bit more, but in my opinion, not a ton more. But yeah. that's where I think the the huge drop off our, uh, of our entire defense over the course of the season has been a pretty decent pass rush, but a very poor coverage unit, where even though we were developing pressure, the play developed so quickly that we couldn't actually get home and we couldn't mm -hmm. actually develop pressure, which you can be... I mean, we have two of the best pass rushers in the league, but they didn't have time to get home if coverage was giving up right away. And that is one thing that I do believe changed in this past game against the Colts in the fact that we ran a decent amount of man coverage in contrast to exclusively zone coverage throughout the course of this season. Um, and with Patrick Peterson and uh, Duke Shelley, I think they pulled it off. And when you're able to hold coverage a little bit longer, your pass rush is able to develop more, right? Yep, um, just that's sure. the schematics of football. So um, I think we were able to punish that a lot more because of their wide receiver ones. I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. is essentially their wide receiver number one. Yep. And he isn't really scary. I, I think he's a decent number two on most teams, but he's not a, a wide receiver one. So we were able to punish that a lot more in a man coverage standpoint. Um, I do believe we're going to be able to, to mimic the same thing against the Giants, the Packers, and the Bears. I don't have anyone on that on those teams that really scare me. So I think we can continue that on and really show up and show out. Um, I don't know if you can continue that once you play into the playoffs, when you play a Stephon Diggs or someone like that. Um, I don't think you can hold up against man. Now, that's my opinion now. Maybe we can leverage Duke Shelley to do it. Uh, yeah. uh, but I think time will tell. But I think that was part of the reason we were able to uh, increase the pressure. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, I think... I think Donatel took too much criticism, too much criticism last week um, mm -hmm. after the loss. I don't think he should be completely exonerated or vindicated from it. I think he's mm -hmm. he's game to be criticized as much as anyone, but I think he is he is heading up a significant change um, mm -hmm. in scheme and and eventually personnel here, and mm -hmm. it's not going to be a hundred percent great the first year and it hasn't mm -hmm. been but um i i think he's bringing that group along pretty well and and the bend but don't break defense can be teased a mm -hmm. lot and it was against the lions but honestly i mean the last three weeks they're 33 red zone defense and you know you you continue that here for the next three weeks and you're going to be the two seed and you continue that for three weeks after that and you're going to be in the nfc championship game so mm -hmm. Um, they, they do not give up a lot of touchdowns in the red zone. And that is something you can hang your hat on. Uh, yep. so I think some encouraging performances here, uh, by the Vikings defense of late, uh, the lions was not, but the jets game was encouraging. And I think this Colts game was encouraging as well. Yep. Especially when you look into the next season. I mean, this season's not over, so I don't want to get too cart before the horse, but yeah. I'm really excited to see what the front office does to be able to shore up some things because um, I think we talked about this last week, but when you bring in a new coach and a new scheme, you're not bringing them in just for a single season. You're trying to say, this is the new philosophy of our team. And yeah. I think this defensive scheme relies on corners that you can trust and really fast linebackers. And I think those are two things that aren't necessarily true on our team. Now, yeah. They could have come in and say, all right, well, we can't run that scheme because we don't have that personnel, but they didn't do that. Like that, yeah. that's just, it didn't happen. And I think uh, Jordan Hicks, although he's a great tackler, a tidbit slow. 
Eric Kendricks, very smart middle linebacker and is an above average top five player in other schemes. He's not necessarily the fastest guy in the on the playing field, right? right. Um, so that is one thing that has struggled in this in this uh, scheme. Uh, same thing with Harrison Smith and Cam Bynum. Harrison Smith is slowing down a touch. Still a very smart player, but not mm-hmm. as fast. Um, and I think Cam Bynum, unfortunately, has really started to struggle. Um, where I think, honestly, if you're trying to prepare yourself for the longest stretch of football this season, I think you got to put in Josh Metellus because every time Josh Metellus has started, he's performed and been the, been the best safety in our lineup. Um, so I think, although I love Cam Bynum and I was really hoping for great things from him this year, I think you got to move in Josh Metellus to be able to shore up that secondary because that's become a major issue. Metellus, when I watch the games in person or on TV, when I'm watching special teams, I mean, that guy is a player. And yeah. if you can get him schematically if you can ask things of him in the scheme that are very similar to what you ask of him on teams i think mm-hmm. he i think you can win with him on the field on defense yeah. he's fast enough yep i i like him a lot so i i'm with you on that giles i wouldn't be against that mm-hmm. um all right let's um let's take a quick peek here um at the giants let's preview that game uh but before we do that let's power rank possible wild card opponents just for fun all right so The Vikings have clinched a top four seed by virtue of winning the division. Mm -hmm. We also know that it will not be the actual four seed that will go to the winner of the NFC South because whoever that team is cannot catch the Vikings in win totals and win total. So we know it'll be a top three seed. It's very unlikely that it will be the one seed. Mm -hmm. Um, So it'll be the two or the three seed. And that will be San Francisco and the Vikings vying for those two seats. So we we don't know which one it's going to be. The Niners play Washington at home, at Las Vegas, and then Arizona at home. With their quarterback situation, uh, it's really hard to know if they're going to win or lose those games. I have a good feeling that they could win two or maybe three of them. So it is a distinct possibility that the Vikings will be the three seed and not the two seed. That's a big deal uh, because that would mean the Vikings, should they win in the first round, would be on the road in the second round rather than hosting a game. So, um, you know, the hope is that the Vikings can keep winning and hold on to the two seed, but it could be the three seed, whether it's the two or the three seed, it's going to come down to playing one of probably five teams. I'm excluding Dallas from this guys. It could mathematically still be a Vikings Cowboys matchup in the first round, but like lots and lots of odd things would have to happen for that to be the case. So we'll exclude Dallas. The five teams are, in no particular order, Detroit, Green Bay, the Giants, the Washington Commanders, and Seattle. Those are one of those five teams is who's going to be coming to U.S. Bank Stadium in the first round of the playoffs. I'll say it again. Detroit, Green Bay, Washington, the Giants, or Seattle. So those five teams, guys, if we were to power rank them, the team that you want to face the most all the way down to the team you least want coming into U.S. Bank Stadium in the wild card round. How would you rank them? Honestly, I might say the Detroit Lions um, because I think last uh, the ones that I want to face the most. So you want them number one? Okay, yeah. got it. Um, what's because, your explanation? Uh, I would have a close second with the Packers because I think they've become quite a train wreck, but it's still Aaron Rodgers. Although Aaron Rodgers has struggled in the playoffs in the past, he's still Aaron Rodgers. And I think there's a clutch gene there that I am not in love with uh, from a Viking standpoint. Um, So that is uh, kind of an issue. And I think from a Lions standpoint, I really viewed 
the Lions game uh, this past uh, past week that that was a game we could have won. We made too many ish, uh, too many mistakes, and I think if you play the the law of odds, I think we can beat them uh, a second time at, at the third uh, meeting. Okay. If that makes sense, yeah. um, I think defensively uh, we can put. Uh, the pedal to the metal. Um, I think if we go into a proper game plan, people are hyper-focused. Um, I truly believe that the Lions are probably the best. I don't know. What do you think, Chase? I don't know. Uh, it's it's between the Lions and the and the uh, Packers for me. And and I, I start, I'm starting to think that we're giving Aaron Rodgers a little too much credit. Um, and we're giving him a little too much this year, um, just week to week. And he just keeps not performing like we expect him to. Um, so at what point do we draw the line and just say, you know what, the Packers are a bad team this year, and I would love to play them in the playoffs because I'm just about I'm just about there. All right, I just want to come at this from one just one alternative angle here. Just okay. keep in mind that if it were to be the Packers, what that means has just happened, right? If the Packers make the playoffs, that means they probably just won four games in a row, including having defeated the Vikings. Yep. and having defeated the Lions in the last game of the season to get into the playoffs. And I just, if I'm the Vikings, I do not want a hot and confident Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay Packers coming in the first round of the playoffs after I have had a marvelous season full of comebacks and drama and health. And it's all sort of lining up. And now I got the cheeseheads coming in here to dash my dreams in the first round of the playoffs. That is a narrative I don't think Vikings Nation wants to to take on. That's fair. I can it's definitely get on board with that. Yeah. It's a very and good point. honestly, if you're looking at it from a a fan perspective and what would be the most fun to watch, I might have to sh- shift my answer to the Seattle Seahawks because they are more or less a powerhouse from an offensive standpoint. They've had pretty great production across every offensive category, but defensively, they're real bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're not doing great on, on defense. Yeah. Uh, so all, all right. that to say, you know, the the matchups there would maybe lead me to believe that it'd be a really high scoring game, um, which I'll, I'll always believe that the Vikings have enough offensive firepower to beat anybody yeah. if they can actually click. Now, obviously, if you make mistakes, things fall apart. But when you look at the firepower, you know, mano a mano, the Vikings win. Uh, but that'd be a really fun game because it probably would be pretty high scoring. So. Um, Seattle would be number one for me, guys. Um, that that if I'm the Vikings and I can pick who I play of those five teams, I would pick Seattle. And you're right, Giles, that offensively, um, they they can score points. I mean, they, they can mm-hmm. light it up. Uh, but they don't nothing they do on defense scares me right now. They they have like three picks in the first 40, I think, and I think all three of them are going on defense. Um yeah. like you know, <laughs> and I kind of like some things they have on offense, actually. Defensively, yeah. though no bueno and that is who i would pick to play a very close second would be washington who i think had the vikings beat in the regular season and the vikings found a way to you know take snatch victory from the jaws of defeat um but heineke playoffs and then just the chip on his shoulder that cousins would have going against washington in the first round of playoffs i just i would want every part of that if i was the vikings is washington coming in now, yep. the thing that would scare you a little is I think Ron Rivera is a great galvanizer, and I mm-hmm. think their defensive front is vicious. And Especially with Chase Young back. I'm coming back. Yep. So that I don't love. I don't love that, but it's a quarterback league, and Heineke coming into U.S. Bank Stadium in the playoffs, 
I think Washington would struggle to score points. And um, so it, to me, it's Seattle and Washington clear cut one, two mm-hmm. for me. Um, the Giants, I'm unsure about, but what I wouldn't like about facing the Giants, and we'll see this this week, mm-hmm. is the mobility of Daniel Jones and how they have a great running back in Saquon Barkley and then a quarterback in Daniel Jones who can move and just that mobility. And Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter doing their jobs and pressuring the quarterback only to watch him slip out and gain and, and extend plays and drives with his leg. That would kind of be frustrating. I think it's important to note that the Vikings do have a top five uh, uh, defensive unit from a Mm -hmm. run-stopping standpoint uh, per PFF. So Mm -hmm. although uh, Saquon Barkley is a phenomenal running back, that doesn't scare me. Maybe it should, but it doesn't. Um, And if you can continue to play man defense uh, with Duke Shelley against kind of a a non-threatening wide receiver group from the Giants. Um, Maybe the Giants are honestly a a good one to go after. Uh, I know they are pretty stout defensively. I'm interested to see what that matchup looks like um, come Saturday of this week, but uh, time will tell. Yes, and and guys, we're going to see it too. I mean, they play the Giants, Mm -hmm. so we're going to see, and we're going to preview the game here in in a minute. But I I think the – I don't like going against Brian Dayball. I think he Mm -hmm. is – on fire right now dating back to his time with the bills and now as head coach of the giants where they are overperforming and just the whole the zone read read option concept that they can work with barkley and jones i i think it it is a headache uh so i got them third and then detroit green bay in some order are would be fourth and fifth i the narrative like we talked about earlier i I just don't think you want that. I, if Green Bay makes the playoffs, it's because they won four straight and they beat you. Yeah. And and God, would Aaron Rodgers love to come into U.S. Bank Stadium and yeah. and end the Vikings? I mean, he lives for that. Yeah. He, yeah. he lives for that. And um, and you're right, Giles, that Rodgers has something about him in the playoffs where he doesn't perform great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering though if some of it is like playing outside in Green Bay and and mm. he doesn't love that. He would be inside at US Bank yeah. Stadium for this game. So anyway, yeah. just a fun activity uh to power rank the possible opponents for the Vikings in that wild card round. Um it, more likely than not, they will play in the wild card round and uh it'll it will be at home and it'll be against one of those five teams. So, uh, excited to see who it is. I don't know that we're going to get much clarity on that this week either, guys. Um a, a lot of very particular things have to happen for there to be clarity in the NFC playoff field after this week. I think there's still going to be a lot of ambiguity. The Packers can lose and still not be eliminated as an example, um, mm-hmm. which is crazy, but true. So um, uh, there's a lot to still figure out in the, in the NFC playoff field. Let's talk about the giants guys uh, before we get out of here. Um, eight, five, and one currently the sixth seed. They defeated the Washington commanders last week on the road. Uh, seventh worst defense in yards allowed, third worst pass defense, and 14th scoring defense, giving up 22.2 points per game. A quarterback who can run, an elite running back in Saquon Barkley, and then three headaches up front on defense in Kayvon Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence, and Lawrence Williams. That's what I see when I take a look at the Giants. I expect a slow grinder of a game early on and then i think this thing opens up and it gets high scoring what do you guys think honestly when you take away the run game and the premier tackling of the giants Mm -hmm. i think they're an average team 
I love their coach. I was actually a huge advocate that he come over to Minnesota. Love Brian Dable. I think he did an awesome job in in, uh, Buffalo. Um, I think that's something to be worried about. But outside of that, I do believe they're an average team. When you take away the tremendous tackling, they're elite in tackling from a uh, defensive standpoint. They have a really great run game, uh, one of the best in the league. Um, But outside of that, I think they're average. So I think that that, uh, leads me to believe we're going to win. I am interested to see the storyline of how our team bounces back after another emotional win. I do think this win was different than the Buffalo Bills game. Um, I didn't see the type of emotion after this game that I didn't see after the Bills game. So I'm hoping that we're able to keep things relatively even, um, that we don't get too overly excited on ourselves so we can actually come in and show up. Um, So that is one uh, storyline to follow. That's a great point, Giles. That's absolutely a factor in the National Football League. It was totally what led to the the huge loss the Vikings had, the blowout loss to the Eagles after the Minneapolis miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good point, and that was an emotional win for the Vikings. Uh, so we will see how Kevin O'Connell can get his team to respond. Chase, what do you mm-hmm. see in the Vikings-Giants game? Yeah, you know, like you said just a couple minutes ago, Wabi, it is a quarterback's league, um, and I don't think this quarterback matchup is close at all. Can Daniel Jones rush? Yes, he can. Is he is he a top rushing quarterback in the league? Yes, but I still think he's – honestly, you could say he's a bottom five quarterback in the league, and that's not a crazy thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think with the chip that we have on our shoulder right now, um, just from how we came out in the game uh, on, on last Saturday, I, I don't I don't know if this is going to be close. I, I think this might be a, a get-right game for us. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, we will see. Um, we will not speak, guys, at least not on camera or on microphone before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas. Hopefully Merry Christmas. Uh, we get a nice little gift with uh, Victory Monday again. I hope so, too. Victory and, Sunday. Uh, uh, yeah, Victory Sunday <laughs> yeah. and Monday. Yeah, right. Um, and Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays to everyone else out there listening as well enjoy that vikings giants christmas eve game it's on saturday just as last week's game was and uh see if the vikings can get a victory to move to 12 and 3 their final two games of course against the green bay packers and chicago bears both of them on the road as the vikings stay in the hunt for the number two seed thank you for listening to this episode of the wobcast 2.0 we encourage you to listen to future episodes go back and watch old episodes you can find the wobcast 2.0 wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts apple Podcasts, google play spotify we are also on youtube you can find me and debate me on twitter at wobby where we will break down the top 10 left tackles in the nfl Later this week, you will see a shiny new graphic from Giles and from Chase breaking down the top 10 left tackles. Would love to have a discussion and maybe a debate with you all about that. You can also email the show, therealwobcast at gmail.com. For Giles and Chase, I am Wobby signing off of the Wobcast 2.0 for now. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and Skull Vikings.